welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. This is your host, Ken Gagney, this week on Polygamer. I want everybody who's like me or people that are more marginalized than me, I want their voices to be heard. I want them to be represented. I want them to have a place at the table. I want them to have a controller in their hands. I want to have games made for them. That's Philip Jones, director of Gaming in Color, a documentary that just released on May 19th, all about the intersection of the LGBT community and the video game community. You may recall that Polygamer previously examined this topic when we interviewed Matt Kahn on the very first episode of Polygamer. Matt Kahn is the co-founder of the annual convention Gamer X in San Francisco, which I have backed on Kickstarter three years in a row, and he is also the CEO of Midboss, the publisher of Gaming in Color, and I back Matt on Patreon as well. Just wanted to get all those potential conflicts of interest out of the way, but as a backer of the Gamer X Kickstarter, I received a free copy of Gaming in Color, which is how I got to view the documentary prior to its 2015 release, because it did enjoy a limited release in 2014 and now is widely available in 2015. This week's episode is the first of two consecutive episodes featuring directors of documentaries. Two weeks from now, on June 10th, you'll be hearing from Shannon Sun Higginson, director of GTFO, a film about women in the gaming industry. I don't normally feature two very similar roles on this show consecutively, but the topics were sufficiently diverse and just too timely to pass up because GTFO is coming out on June 9th. I encourage you to check out both films. You'll be finding out more about GTFO in the next episode of Polygamer, but for Gaming in Color, go to gamingincolor.tv, easy to remember, where you can find the film on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, PlayStation, Xbox, Gumroad, Vimeo, VHX, and Vudu with more to come, so I'm told in this episode, which you're about to hear with Philip Jones, director of Gaming in Color. Thank you to Matt Kahn for making the connection, and if you'd like to show your appreciation for this interview and this show, please leave a review on iTunes. It really means a lot, not just because you're stroking my ego, but because reviews in iTunes actually feed into the podcast discovery mechanism and help more people discover this show and the topics we're discussing. So you can do your part to advance diversity and equality in gaming, by supporting podcasts like Polygamer and Less Than or Equal. Thanks so much for listening. Here's the show. Today I have the honor of chatting with the director of the documentary Gaming in Color, Philip Jones. Hello, Philip. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Wonderful. I am excited and I am busy, but this is, this is fun. I like doing this kind of thing. I can imagine. As we are chatting, the film Gaming in Color comes out, well, it came out yesterday, in fact, on Tuesday the 19th. And we are airing this podcast on May 27th, so you've had about a week now to catch your breath, or conversely, to be extremely busy conducting even more interviews like this one. But uh, thank you for taking some time out of the lull before the storm to chat with Polygamer. So if it came out yesterday, I could be in the hospital right now, just depending on how things go. Oh no, the hospital. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to put out this this big gay gaming movie. It's going to be out on like people's Playstations. I don't know how people are going to react. You, you could be a billionaire. It could be that popular. It could, you know, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping, you know, get us some cool press and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try to make the magic happen. I know we've, we've got some cool stuff lined up, so we'll see how this week goes. Well, I'm happy to collude with you and get some press out there. <laughs> I guess the listeners know better than I do at this point. Ugh. Ah. So before we talk about what's in the film and people's perception about it, I want to talk a little bit about the origin of the film because it originally went on Kickstarter about two years ago, early 2013, and it was seeking $125,000. But before that project closed, 
It was voluntarily canceled and then relaunched with a budget of $50,000. What changes made that lower goal possible? You know, I actually was not part of the film process, nor was VidBoss, until um, late 2013. So I wasn't even an employee of Midvoss at that point. So I honestly, I couldn't tell you what happened with that first Kickstarter. I think that people were really ambitious to get the project off the ground and they made a cool campaign, but they didn't really have a lot of press behind it and didn't have a lot of sway. And, you know, after the first two weeks, if your Kickstarter is going nowhere, then I think a lot of people can always tell, you know, um, this isn't, you know, this, this isn't going to, this isn't going to happen. So instead of just failing with that campaign and, you know, having that on their, their shoulders, I think that they, came up with an excuse to relaunch it. And I think that at that point, the second campaign actually did have Midboss's influence. Um, and then that one was actually ultimately successful. Um, so I don't think any changes were made um, besides just, you know, trying to get more attention to the film and maybe present the, the campaign better. Because we've had, we've had a lot of uh, experience running Kickstarters. So you were brought on board to direct this film. This film is not your brainchild. Uh, no, actually, I was brought on to be uh, the assistant slash project manager originally because we were having a hard time getting everybody to actually uh, stay focused on the project and, and continue working on it. So it was my job to actually try to get everybody else to be doing their job actually making the film. Um, and eventually <laughs> that was just not going to happen. Um, so eventually, you know, instead of just letting it be a dead project and, you know, not sure what to do with all that money, uh, Midboss, we just acquired the film rights. And um, because I was already so heavily involved with the, the project, I sort of naturally just filled the role of director and everything else that we had done past that point was was uh, my, my vision. Everything that had been filmed by the time that I joined up was the GamerX convention, and that was it. Did you have any experience as a film director that you brought to this project? God, no. <laughs> no, none of us did. Me, me nor Matt, you know, but we, we've been in the game industry for a while. We, we know how to, like, sell a product. We know how, what looks good. We know how to be entertaining. Um, so we all brought that to the table. And then we hired this guy named Ryan Paul, who's this really talented cinematographer and video editor who basically put the whole film together according to, you know, how we shot it and how... Um, you know, we wanted the, the film to lay out, hitting the points that we wanted to cover. Um, so we did hire somebody that has, you know, a documentarian to actually put it together. We, we, were, we were not going to be able to do that all by ourselves. But no, besi besides him, none of us had any, you know, film experience or anything, you know. Kind of reminds me of Superman 2, where they filmed most of the movie with Richard Donner, and then they let him go and brought in a new director. Because I saw a lot of footage in the Kickstarter trailer for your film, and having just watched the film yesterday in preparation for this interview, I didn't see any of the trailer's footage in the actual movie. So there must have been some big change at some point about what the film was going to be about or how you're going to go about it or what footage you were going to use. Oh, the Kickstarter trailer, actually, we just took people just to be in the trailer. None of those people were actually supposed to be in the film. Oh, interesting. I don't know why that decision was made. That had nothing to do with me. I feel like they should have just, you know, interviewed them for the film after they were already, you know, tied to the project. But, you know... They put together a really cool trailer. I, you know, Keith Kirsten, he's a cool guy. We got to put his face on the thumbnail. So, you know, that probably helped us with a little bit of the fundraising. He's a cutie. And I noticed that among your 1,026 Kickstarter backers, two of them actually did end up in the film. The little subtitle that pops up to identify them, their role as opposed to film critic or website editor or whatever is Kickstarter backer. How did you identify those two people out of the thousand that gave you money? So we actually had a high tier where anybody who pledged $500 or more 
was guaranteed a spot in the film. Um, and we ended up having about six people choose that reward, um, but we were only able to actually film the two. The other four either were international or did not want to be in the film or could not make time for it within our, our, our schedule. Oh, that's right. I see that now. $500 reward. If you get to L.A. or San Francisco, we'll interview you as part of the film. Yep. Wow. And one of those took place at the GamerX convention because it was a fan of, of GamerX. And the other one we shot, actually, uh, George Daddy, we shot at the first QGCon on the UC Berkeley campus. And we should have shot more of that conference, but it was, it was sort of like small and guarded and everything was like happening inside a room. So there wasn't actually much that we could, we could actually film there, which was unfortunate because that was a really, a really cool event. I imagine as director, there were certain people you wanted to interview. How did it feel to be told by the people who managed the Kickstarter, you have to include these two people? No, I didn't, I didn't have any problem with having to include the, the Kickstarter backers. I think it was more just like a, an issue of, of scheduling, and then we have to hire you know, a camera guy you know, for an extra day. Um, that was fine. Anybody that I wanted to be in the film, um, the, the major blockers to that were actually, um, we could not travel. And, you know, we can't pay for anybody. We had, we had no budget and no time by the point that I had come on the project. So, you know, anybody that we would want, we would have had to have found locally. Um, and by locally, I mean in New York, because that's where our, our filmmaker was at the time. So a lot, of the, a lot of the cast members that you see are actually New York-based, and that's why. Interesting. I also just saw the film GTFO by Shannon's son Higginson. And I yes. Think you like that film? I got to see the premiere at South By. Oh, excellent! I was there when it when it first launched, and I, I met Shannon, and she was really cool. And you know, we exchanged DVDs and and you know emails, and uh, we are you know we want to work together in the future. So cool things might happen down the line with Gaming and Color and GTFO. We'll see. Yeah, she's swell. At the time that you and I are recording this, I just interviewed her yesterday for Polygamer, oh. and that episode will air two weeks from now on June 10th. Did she say anything nice about me? Yes, after I told her that you said nice things about her. We always try to like give each other a nod in interviews because you know people ask me like the the scope of the film, you know what's the response been or has there been any criticisms or you know what was the scope of your film or you know or they they'll bring up you know some recent happening um, and usually those are really good segues for me to be like you know if if my film didn't cover this one of these other ones did like GTFO or, or game loading. Um, especially trans geek movie, which is you know still in production, but I'm really looking forward to that one. So there's like there's this really whole this really cool just little group of indie docs about marginalized people in games, and they're all coming out right now, and it's it's really really cool to be a part of that because I don't think this has ever really happened. Like I mean, video game movies have been made before, like you know like everybody knows indie game the movie, and that was highly successful. Um, and I think, you know, it's not that any of us are trying to replicate that. You know, we all have passions and, you know, our own motivations for making a film, what we think is important. Um, and, you know, I just, I just think it's so cool just to be able to be a part of that and say this, you know, gaming and color exists on its own, but it's not the only one. Like, it's, it's almost like a sort of, like, package deal. If you want the full scope of what's going on right now. You know, there are these other films that are coming out right now that tell similar stories, and we're all loosely connected to each other, and we're all friends, and, you know, I've met them all, and I've, I've been to the premieres, you know, I went to the premiere of Game Loading as well, and, you know, it's, it's, it's so cool. So what is it that prompted this film, Gaming in Color, to happen now? For example, 
GTFO, it's timely because of everything that just happened with Gamergate, but mm-hmm. Shannon happened to actually have just finished filming that movie two months before Gamergate. But yep. she had but she had seen other incidences on a smaller scale happen and they all sort of piled up and she said, I need to compile these into a film. Yep. What what happened with Gaming in Color? I'd obviously the convention Gamer X is about two or three years old, and that seems to coincide with the production of this film. Was that was there some synergy there that yeah. prompted this film to start? Yeah, absolutely. The original filmmakers uh, were friends with somebody who used to work on the convention, and they had seen a lot of great press because Gamer X was buzzing at the time. You know, before it was the first time we were getting a lot of mainstream gay coverage, and. Um, you know, so we had connections to filmmakers, and they had decided, you know, this is really cool. We want to make a documentary about this. And, you know, GamerX was like, oh, okay, so you can come and film, and, you know, we'll boost it, and we'll be happy to be part of that. You know, that, of course, you know, if somebody tells you, you know, we, we want to make a movie about you, what are you going to say? You know, of course. So it was definitely hugely inspired by the GamerX convention, and that's why that was the thing that was filmed, that we didn't have to, you know, cover ourselves. And of course, the co-founder of GamerX, Matt Kahn, and he was the executive producer on this film and is the CEO, I believe, of Midboss, which is the publisher of the film. Is that correct? Absolutely. And he was the very first guest on the very first episode of Polygamer. I don't know <gasps> that we would have launched this podcast without him. Aww. And I've backed all three GamerXs on Kickstarter, but I did not back Gaming in Color for anybody who's looking for a conflict of interest. That one doesn't Ooh. exist. Lots of others, but not so you gave Matt money, but not me. I see how it is. <laughs> I find out about these things too late. Like GTFO, <laughs> I just found out about it a month ago, and I'm like, where was I? Yeah, I, uh, I I always try to boost the other films when I can. I put out, I I compiled this really cool list of like eight different uh, marginalized people in in games or just marginalized people documentaries that were coming out around uh, that time, and I put that out as a Kickstarter update. And I know that included. GTFO, and that included game loading, and that included uh, indie game jam or super super indie super indie jam. Oh god, they're gonna hate me. I'm forgetting the name of their their film. It's super super game jam. Yeah, uh, super game jam is a really cool. It's like a five part documentary um, about like making a game within a game jam, like within like 48 hours. And um, other ones like she got game. And No Princess in the Castle both had successful Kickstarters. I haven't heard about either of those films in a while, so I believe that they're still in production, but they're both about women in games as well. So, But yeah, the, the GamerX convention was, was the first inspiration for Gaming in Color, and then the scope expanded. You know, some of our, <laughs> one of our criticisms was like, somebody said that we, we just used the film to make a commercial for GamerX, but I was like, okay, well, <laughs> GamerX was literally the one thing that I did not film and was just handed off to me. So, you know, everything else that the film covers was beyond, you know, GamerX. So everything, you know, you know, everything that I actually put into this film was not GamerX. So, you know. That actually raises a question I had, which is that the documentary mentioned how the anonymity of the Internet allows people to be jerkwads. Yeah. Do you find that <laughs> a lot of that hostility or bigotry also happens offline where people are in person? Like, I, I imagine that people are not going to Gamer X and being dicks, are they? No, we've never had any problems about harassment or, or people being bigoted at Gamer X. Um, Gamer X is really cool because we try to... Um, we have a really intensive volunteer uh, training little seminar that we hold. So everybody that volunteers for the convention wants to be one of our sprites, is what they're called. The night before the convention, we take them out and... 
we give this whole seminar about, you know, how to be, uh, you know, a moderate of uh, an inclusive space. And then, you know, we'll give examples of like, these are the things that can be said and are, you know, common within social circles, but these are problematic because blah, blah, blah. And they usually have to do with, you know, statements being made that center, you know, white cis guys at the focal point of the discussion and sort of like assume them by default um, within a video game space. Um, so all of our volunteers are trained and know and, you know, understand these types of situations. So we never have any problems with volunteers. And then everybody that is, you know, if, if a situation were to come up, then we trust all of our volunteers to be able to, you know, know how to handle that. And if, you know, something big did happen, then we would step in. But we've never, we've never had any problems at the convention. We've really um, been able to be successful in creating a safer space because I think that if, you know, that's something that we really strive for. And if we say that, you know, a lot, then I think people will start to understand that it's something that's really important to us. You know, we want to be inclusive of everybody. We want to feel like, we want everybody to feel like they have a space here and that they're heard and that they're included and that they're, you know, this is a, a safer space that they can they can come to. And if any situation were ever to arise, then it would be handled quickly and, you know, thoroughly. But, I, you know, I don't think that anybody would come to GameRex looking to start trouble. And if they did, then that would be uh, sad, but it would be able to be handled with. So, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the world by any means. For people who see the safe space that this convention provides as a threat to what they consider the traditional gaming industry, have they taken offense or seen gaming in color as any sort of threat? Have you received any negative outburst or feedback, or do you expect that to happen once the film comes out? I expect it to happen once the film comes out. So that's what the joke was about earlier, because I don't know how, you know, I, I know I know that if, if, if Gaming in Color was so large that everybody on gaming internet knew about it, then it would definitely, absolutely. Um, and GamerX has. Uh, the personal lives of the founders of, and, you know, directors of GamerX have been trudged through and, you know, lots of, lots of uh, threads and, you know, topics and people wasting their lives um, on that. But Gaming in Color as a product has not been heavily targeted. I haven't been heavily targeted because of Gaming in Color. Um, I was on Breitbart.com for like, <laughs> you know, the, the Milo guy put me in a, in a Breitbart article. So I was on the front page of Breitbart and I got, you know, people in my Twitter mentions for about half a day, but they got bored with me. That was not sustained. Um, so it was not traumatic by any sense. Um, you know, we'll see how the film goes. Um, we, I mean, we did have a, a screening on Twitch. This is something really cool that Devolver set up. They did Twitch movie nights where the official Twitch channel, like twitch.tv slash Twitch, was was streaming movies from Devolver's catalog, and we actually got to be a part of that. Um, and they streamed us like they started at like 4 p.m. and streamed us like 10 times over the course of the whole day. So you know, it, it was just playing on repeat like till 2 a.m. Um, and over the course of that, we had uh, a combined you know 20,000 some odd viewers to that channel uh, seeing the film during that time around the second or third screening, once people started to pay attention to it, because it was on the front page of Twitch, you couldn't go to twitch.tv without seeing it. There were a lot of people that suddenly showed up that had a huge problem with the film and wanted to talk about it in the Twitch chat room, and they wanted to say things about the women in our film, and they wanted to um, make a lot of assumptions and say a lot of hurtful things, and, you know, slurs are funny, 
Um, and there was a 4chan thread that was made about it, which was, you know, deleted before we could actually see the contents, but it was there. So, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, any time that the game is, uh, the film is going to exist in a mainstream gaming space, just for the nature of what it is, that's going to attract a lot of negative attention. So, you know, we're anticipating that, you know, I know that there's going to be some kid who's going to turn on his, his Xbox, he's going to go in the store and stumble over our film by accident. Um, and, you know, that can be a good thing or a bad thing, you know, just the, the very nature that, that gaming color is going to exist on, you know, consoles, game consoles, I think is uh, a really cool achievement of the film and, you know, achievement that was not a pun, but, uh, <laughs> but it was a good one. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I look forward to it. I, I want to see how people will respond to the film coming from a very neutral standpoint. You know, I think that, you know, we tried so hard. One of, one of my biggest directions with the film was if we're not making this to be educational and if we're not making this to try and show people what we're going through, if we're just here to, like, preach to the choir, then what's the point of even making it? Like, we're not going to get anywhere with that. In the interests of being... Uh, moderate and reasonable and trying to make the film come off as relatable you know the film's scope was not as large so people that are really well versed in this stuff might you know want more but it's also they're just going to feel happy just because it's it's presented so positively so um but in that same vein most mainstream gamers find our film to be radical and, and progressive and super far left and, you know, almost ridiculous. <laughs> and anytime that I've gotten somebody who's, you know, either like super committed to being an ally or even not a gamer, um, people are really receptive and they've actually said, you know, you should, you should cover these topics further. I want to know more about this. So, you know, hitting that one line just seeing the different responses from all of these different groups that are seeing the film is wild. You know, I don't know what to anticipate when somebody sees the film for the first time. It's, you know, it's really hard to be told at the same time that you're, you're going too far and then you're not going too far enough for, for all of these different people. But I think that, you know, one thing that we just wanted to do was just be educational and just be relatable and try to be a, a force and just, you know, be a resource for, for people to go to, you know, if, if you're dealing with somebody who's like, on the internet, he's like, I don't understand why, why gay people want to play video games or why they want to be in video games. What does being gay have to do with video games at all? Why can't we just all be the same people? I think that people are really, really tired with answering questions like that. And, you know, it's going to take a lot of effort to answer a question like that because there's going to be follow-up questions. You have to provide resources and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. So my vision was that whenever, whenever somebody's dealing with a person who has questions like that or has concerns or just doesn't get it or even disagrees and says gay people shouldn't be in video games, then they can just say, hey, go watch Gaming in Color because that will change your mind. You know, that's that's what I envision for the film. That's that's the most that I could ever hope for. No, I think that's a great goal and a very reasonable one. It's one of the same reasons why I had Matt on this show last summer because I was asking him all the exact same routine, frustrating questions that you just mentioned, because mm. I had those questions and Matt was generous enough with his time to come on the show and entertain those questions for me, understanding that I really was coming from a place of naivete. Mm. And he knew that once he answered those questions, it would form this record, the Polygamer podcast that I could now point people to and say, hey, right. if you had the same questions I did, Matt already answered them for me. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that when we first released, we were for pay what you want. 
Um, so the vast, vast majority of people that were watching our film only paid a dollar for it, which by, in my mind was fine because that meant to me that they were likely people that wouldn't have otherwise supported this. And because it was a dollar, uh, they were able to actually put in a buck and watch it. And, you know, maybe that actually was able to spread, you know, the activism that the film holds in a, in a much wider scope. Um, you know, unfortunately, we've had to substitute that for wider platforms. You know, now that we're going to be out on all these major things, you know, the visibility of the film is going to drastically increase. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we, we, do, we don't control the price. Um, I would have loved to have kept it at pay what you want, but that's just not, not feasible when you're out on all these platforms. So I think that after we were out for a year, you know, on pay what you want, I think that now was the time to actually go full VOD. And um, I think that that's, a, a, you know, a sacrifice that we were definitely willing to make. You know, anything in the interest of, of getting the film in more people's, more people's hands and their awareness. And I think that, you know, most gamers can't go through the Internet, whether they're going on Kotaku or Polygon or, you know, some other somewhat progressive game site. You know, I think that this is a topic that people can't escape anymore, which is a weird thing to say. Um, but everybody, everybody should be aware that there is something that is gay and video games. And I think that, you know, if they, if they see it more and more and more and it's all around them, then, you know, I think that people are going to eventually they're just going to have to, you know, have to understand it or have to look into it and they can't just ignore it and can't just be bigoted. And I think that um, most people who are interested in video games and not in the typical, you know, gamer sense um, are going to be the most positive forces behind this sort of movement. Um, Not like, you know, the average everyday gamers, even though that's who we're speaking to, because we know that's who we meet the most resistance with. I want to talk more about the film's content, but since the topic came up, let's take a brief tangent to its distribution. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the film coming out on May 19th, but as you just mentioned, the film has already been out, and that's how I was able to watch it. So tell us a little bit about what its prior availability was like and why that changed. Yeah, we um, we did not have a, a a premiere in the sense that most films do. We did not have a, a release film festival run. We didn't really have a great festival run back in when we began. We've had a decent one since then, but not once we first started. So it was really hard for us to get off the ground. Um, so we decided, you know, we were at that time, you know, maybe not in the, in the best, you know, mindset for success of the film, but we just wanted the film to get out. We just wanted people to be able to see it because we had been working on it for a while. And we thought that this was something really cool. So we just wanted everybody to see it. We wanted people to talk about it. We wanted this to exist. So we self-published it and we put it out on uh, this really amazing platform called VHX, which is a video streaming, video on demand service that you can either buy or rent or, you know, it's a really, really cool dynamic website. And we already knew that, you know, we had a thousand some Kickstarter backers. So we know at least, you know, by release, we're going to have around a thousand people that have a copy of the film. So that was, you know, a good motivation for releasing it. Um, so we put it out on, on VHX. We had our own VHX website. It was pay what you want with a minimum of the dollar. You know, we suggested $10. Um, not a lot of people did that, but some people did. You know, if we, if we knew them or if they were just really cool people and wanted to support the cause and this is something that's important to them as a queer person, then, then we actually did get a lot of financial support through that. Um, but it was more important for us just to be, you know, able for, you know, out and where everybody can see it. Um, and we had some good press lined up around then, you know, not amazing, um, but, but good. You know, we, we have our own, pre- uh, 
we have our own contacts, you know, through GamerX, and you know, people recognized us as the the GamerX people. So, yeah, it was it was a decent run, and I think that eventually we got to the point where the film wasn't going to go anywhere without some outside help. Um, and we saw other films around us, like like Super Game Jam, like getting released on platforms, and you know, we started talking to them, and they're like, "Well, just, we got it through Devolver." And we're like, doesn't Devolver just do games? But, you know, they opened up their own, their own film company, which is something, you know, not a lot of people are aware of if they only know video games. So we were able to establish a connection with them, and they fell in love with the film, and they've been amazing. Uh, Andy Grace is one of the coolest ladies that I've ever met, and I love getting to work with her. Uh, she is super helpful and awesome. And they were the ones who were able to get us out on these platforms because they have an established connection you know, with iTunes and, and blah, 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 and any of the other platforms that are hard or expensive to, you know, get yourself on. And even if you do, you know, um, submit yourself as a no-name indie, you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to make it. Um, so this sort of distributor is very, very important. Um, and luckily, we were able to still establish that connection after so long after the release. So for those who already saw the film on VHX, the film coming out now is the same thing. Yeah. Is there going to be a physical media release, like a DVD or Blu-ray? Um, not that we've planned. We could eventually do that, but I don't think that the demand is there. I think that for something like this, this is something that people will definitely want more digitally. Um, we did run um, a string of DVDs because we included them as backer awards in our Kickstarter and also our GX3 Kickstarter. So a lot of people do have DVDs, and we pass them out you know, when we go to conventions. And you know, it's a good way of getting the film in people's hands when you're physically there. Um, but in terms of like marketplaces, people definitely want digital. Sure, I see that. The one opportunity I see that physical media has besides in-person distribution, as you mentioned, is also getting it into the hands of certain communities or groups like libraries or LGBT communities in various parts of the country. Yep, we've actually been able to be in a couple of those. I couldn't name any off the top of my head just because everything moves so fast. But uh, people have reached out for us and we've sent them DVDs. So I know that they exist somewhere. Oh, good. One of the things I talked to Shannon about was her approach to this topic because she considers herself a casual gamer, not a hardcore gamer. And on, on one hand, some people might criticize her by saying, you're, you're a fake geek girl. You have no right talking about this topic. On the other hand, they might say, oh, well, you're not in this community, you're not trying to change it for your own benefit. You're just an outsider who has a unbiased perspective on it. So it kind of worked both ways for her. This topic of gaming in color is one that you and Matt Kahn are very much invested in. Yes. What was it like trying to produce a film that you have a stake in the subject matter? I think that's the only way that I could. Because this is so personal to me, and it was something that I was already involved in. You know, it was something that I was becoming increasingly more aware of um, at the time when I picked up the film. I think now I have a much greater knowledge and, you know, sort of community awareness of what's going on in queer people in, in games right now. But, um, and I think that, you know, my sort of, you know, limited scope back then only served the film and its limited scope and its, you know, relatability and educational potential. Um, but, it, you know, I wouldn't have just picked up a film if, I, if it wasn't personal, you know. Why would I go and, you know, make a documentary about Big Ben, you know? I don't know anything about that. You know, this is something that I knew and something that I cared about. And, you know, everything that I envisioned for the film meant something to me, you know. Everything that I say when I say I want this film to do this or I want the queer games community to be this or I just want game culture to be this. I want game companies to be doing this. I want people to listen to us. I want 
everybody who's like me or people that are more marginalized than me. I want their voices to be heard. I want them to be represented. I want them to have a place at the table. I want them to have a controller in their hands. I want to have games made for them. This is the only way that I've been able to figure out how to do that best for other people. This and the convention and the, you know now making our own game that is catered towards queer people that never get a game. So you admit that this movie is part of the gay agenda. It is. This is I'm, every documentary has an agenda. Are you kidding? Every documentary <laughs> has an agenda. Anybody who tells you that they don't is lying. Even like super like historical, factual documentaries have an agenda. Because somebody has to direct them. And um, my agenda has always been on display. <laughs> and, you know, people can talk to me in person and, you know, get a sense of who I am as a person. And I think that who I am as a person complements the film. And I think who we are as a company complements the film. And I think that GamerX and Read Only Memories complement the film. I think GTFO and Game Loading and Trans Movie complement the film. I think everybody that's supported the film and everybody that's in the community and everybody that's doing something really cool complements the film. I don't think that it could ever be something that's on its own, that doesn't have strong ties to everything else that is video games and everything else that is queer. So that's why it seemed natural, for example, to have Matt Kahn in the movie, because you really are making a movie about yourself in a way and your own community. Normally you wouldn't see the executive producer of a movie in the movie, but how can you not feature one of the co-founders of Gamer X in a film about the LGBT community in gaming? Well, like I had said, Matt Kahn was actually, that interview was filmed at the Gamer X convention. So that was done by the original filmmakers. You know, Matt Kahn was going to be their star. And then when Midboss picked up the film, you know, he became part of the crew as well. So everything that was in the film that was like, comes off as self-promotion was already done. And didn't, it wasn't something that we had our fingers in. And, you know, we weren't just going to throw it out because we want people to know about GamerX. And we want this, you know, GamerX is historical. It's a really big part of queer games now. You know, it's the only thing that's ever happened like this. Um, so I think that that's, it's a really, uh, it's a really good topic for any documentary. You know, I understand why the other filmmakers wanted to do it. If this documentary were about women in games, which is a hot topic right now, we would know who the quote-unquote celebrities are. If you want to talk about women in games, you have to represent Anita Sarkeesian, Zoe Quinn, Brianna Wu, Leah Alexander, and the like. Who are the celebrities of the LGBT community? Who did you go into this film saying, we need to have these people in this movie? Oh, God. You know, I... Like I said, you know, we had no time and no budget to be able to film just anybody that we wanted. Were, were, there, were there people you wanted to interview that you couldn't get a hold of? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like uh, Maddie Bryce, for instance, actually agreed to be part of the film, but we were not able to be in the same place at the same time um, before uh, our deadlines. So that was somebody that we were not able to film, and she would have been a really amazing asset to the film, and I know that she's brilliant and would have brought a lot to the table. So, you know, that was one thing that we we were not able to do just because, you know, we were, we were picking up a, a you know, picking up a, a dead project, you know, on all sorts of purposes. You know, we, there was nothing that was attached to this besides, you know, the, the few interviews and, and the, the film, all of the Kickstarter money was gone by that point. And, you know, we as a company were not like rolling in dough, spending, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars on Gamer X. So it was, it was really difficult. I, I mean, I've, I have made a comprehensive list of people that I think are amazing 
and people that I would like to have in the next film. So I have those names in mind and I, I have a lot of people that I know that continue to inspire me. So I, you know, if I was going to make another film that I would, I would definitely know who I would want to have and who I wouldn't want to have. And for what reasons, um, uh, in terms of like, who's the celebrities, I think that, um, most well known besides Matt himself, you know, that's, that would be, uh, David Gator of, of Bioware, the, the, the gay man who, who writes Dragon Age and, and Mass Effect and, and, you know, all, all the Bioware games because he has come out himself and done a lot of his social, you know, queer work through the games and has done a lot in, you know, getting internally the company to go in that direction. Um, and include you know LGBT people in their video games, and I think that he's a really well-known name for doing that. So you know, especially in terms of like a a major company. So I think that he's he could probably be up there. You know, there there are a lot of contenders, and I could just go on all day. You know, about people that that I enjoy or people that I think are brilliant. But in terms of like actual mainstream presence and scope, it's probably David Gator. Anybody who wants to follow him on Twitter can find him at, at David Gator. That's D-A-V-I-D-G-A-I-D-E-R. Now, this film, Gaming in Color, was ostensibly about the LGBT community, but I didn't see a lot of the T. I didn't see a lot of transgender issues being mm. discussed. Why was that? That was... I mean, there, there is trans representation in the cast, and you know, we, we tried to highlight the games that are made by a lot of great trans and genderqueer game creators, and especially in the indie scene, or just, just queer games as, as a community and people that we know. Um, like, as, you know, if, if, you know, we would have loved to have more trans people, you know, in the cast and, and more uh, trans topics covered. Um, you know, unfortunately, like I said, you know, our, 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 our scope in the cast was cut much shorter than we had expected. And, you know, while we do bring up these topics, there was not an avenue that we could take that to expand that, you know, while trying to manage everything else. And, you know, there's no good excuse for that. I mean, it's definitely a failure of the film. And, you know, like I said, I think that everything else in our company has showed our commitment to trans people. You know, we don't want to be seen as a mainstream gay company that leaves out trans people because that's very often the case, right? Um, so I think that our work with, with GamerX and Readly Memories and just everything that people know about us personally, you know, I myself am non-binary. Um, and that's something that I would have, I should have really crusaded for more in the film as trans representation because of who I am and the people that I love. Yeah, unfortunately, um, it was just something that we were not able to accomplish in the long run. And it was something that we were concerned about before we released the film. You know, it was definitely something that we were aware of. And we knew that, you know, this documentary is not complete without it. And the cause is not complete without that being more heavily represent, represented. Um, you know, every time that somebody has brought that up to me, I've, I've always pointed them towards Trans Geeky Movie. And I said, you know, hopefully when this film comes out, they will right our wrongs and be able to, you know, cover these things that we were not able to. Um, and, you know, if another film ever gets made, then the focus on that will absolutely be given much more of a, of a presence because then we will be in a better position to be able to control, you know, how the film turns out on a much better scale, you know, with, with more funds and more time and, and more, you know, direction and who we're able to get and, you know, traveling and, and follow stories and, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and, you know, the, 
the trans people that were were in the film were you know either uncomfortable or just did not um, bring up their own identities and did not discuss that, and that was something that we respected. You know, it, it's it's a it's a really hard thing to 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 bring up, and I think that um, it was something that we we should have done. We would have we would have you know if we had more time. And you know, anytime that somebody you know asks me this, um, I I really don't want to give an excuse because I know how that comes off. Because no excuse is good enough. And it's something that, you know, has really, really pained me personally in, in making this film was that we did not accurately or, you know, even respectfully cover transgender people as much as they deserve to be and, you know, as much as they should have been, especially in the context of, of queer games. So, I mean, that's, that's basically the extent that I can, can say about that is, you know, it's not something that we were ignorant of or something that we didn't care about. Um, and if we had more control of the film, then, you know, that was, you know, that was like the, the, our one top priority was something that we weren't able to do. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that we were able to get it in there at all. And, that you know, trans people are, are shown in the film and their work is shown in the film. And we say that we want this to be an exclusive space for, you know, inclusive space for, for transgender people. And that's something that's important to us. And that's something that we carry with us. Excellent. Thank you for answering that. I'm glad that you also called me out on the the transgender topic because, you know, as much as that sticks out, you know, anybody that's it's connected with the transgender community and you know that that is a is a glaring omission in the film. You know, we do we say the word trans and we say gender queer and we show trans people and that's a step and a mile above, you know, what most people do, but it's not as far as we should have gone. One thing that was in the movie quite prominently was a lot of gameplay footage. You mentioned David Gaiden, BioWare's Mass Effect is featured prominently in the game. And then you also have indie stuff like Anna Anthropy's Dysphoria mm -hmm. and big name stuff like Donkey Kong from Nintendo. Did you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get the rights to include that footage in your film? Oh, everything was fair use. And we had gone through our lawyer and said, you know, you have to keep the clips to this length and you can only show, you know, this much at a time and you have to do it in this way. Um, so everything that we did was, was squared away under, under fair use and, um, companies have seen the film. I know that Riot actually held an internal screening of the film because they wanted to, you know, show all of their employees that, you know, Hey, gay people would care about what you're doing. So, you know, Riot has been really receptive to it. EA has seen the film and they're really receptive to it and they're really happy with how they were portrayed. Um, so no, it was, it was not a struggle because that was something that, you know, we were able to do legally. That's great to hear. One of the Kickstarter documentaries I backed was called Stripped, and it was all about comic strips, and certainly they want to feature comic strips in their film. Mm -hmm. And they had to they they had a list that they showed all their backers. Like, here are the three hundred licenses and permissions we need to get to film this movie. Mm -hmm. And it, I can just imagine that that certainly was a different situation where they wanted to show comic strips. Maybe those are different rights or fair use or lengths or context but well comics are comics are very different because look at a comic for five seconds and you've seen the comic right like that's what they're selling is the right. comic and if you show the comic then then you've already seen it so right you, you really can't just show a single frame of a comic and still portray or still convey its meaning well i mean you can you, you can show like a frame of a comic and that it lasts five seconds and you know but then that person's already seen that individual strip Whereas I can show five seconds of first-person shooter game footage, and beyond that little clip, you have no idea what happens in the game, right? right? And it's not the same experience as actually playing it. 
but comics are for are visual. So that's a good point. You mentioned Riot Games, and they were singled out in your film as a spectacularly supportive company mm. of the LGBT community. Are there any other companies that deserve a shout out? Within games, I've we've had a lot of really cool, um, you know, discussions. You know, Riot, Bioware, and then also Ubisoft and Two K. Um, they've sponsored the convention in the past. Blizzard um, is really turning uh, turning a new leaf and doing a lot of cool things now. I mean, there there are a lot, but those those are the main ones that have really been able to you know support us through the convention and do cool things in a big way. Um, I mean, there's there's been cool examples of queer people in games recently, you know, through Naughty Dog and, and NetherRealm, and they've done a lot of really really good representation that's you know introduced in a creative way with you know really strong narration. Mailchimp is also a really cool company outside of gaming, but they've been super helpful and supportive of us. Mailchimp and and GitHub have been really cool. So, and are they necessarily being supportive of gaming in color specifically, or just of Mid Boss and Gamer X and other events like that? Yeah, yeah, most mostly Gamer X because Gamer X is is the way where we set up you know programs for companies to actually come in. And, you know, we give them like you know packages and and things. You know, it's really simple um, supporting the film is a much different way. I don't think that we've really explored, you know, like how could a company support this film or, you know, if they were wanting to, they wouldn't probably know how to, but to um, support GamerX. So. So as I mentioned, at the time this episode airs, the movie came out a week ago. What sort of promotion are you doing in anticipation of that? Are you, you talked about previously the show, the film was on the independent film circuit, but are you doing additional screenings or interviews or new websites or trailers or anything like that? Yeah, we actually just hired a a publicist company in LA called Green Galactic that we're working with who are really uh, big in arts and culture down in LA. And uh, they took on our project within, you know, like the past two weeks at the time of this airing, you know, not a lot of time um, <clears throat> and co- made us a really cool press release and have gotten us out to a lot of great press. So there's there's a bunch of big, uh, articles and interviews coming in, you know, like this one. I, I love doing interviews. Um, so hopefully by the time that this airs, those are actually out. Um, so people should should know what they are. But, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about the press push that we're getting. I'm really excited that people are paying attention to the film again. Um, so we're definitely trying to make this a, a big launch, bigger than our, our last year's launch. Absolutely. Um, you know, we we right now we're in the middle of making a new trailer. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, ideally that's, that's out right now, you know, that's supposed to come out launch day. Um, and then our new website, which we've been working on, um, do you want to, do you want to take a sneak peek of the new website right now? Like a live, yes, let's live, do it. live website sneak peek. Okay. Yes. Maybe you can, you can give some feedback because, uh, I really, I'm really pleased with how this looks, but it's not going live until the film's out. So, ah, you just gave to me a link. I did. Let me see if I can figure out how to... Here we go. Click. Ooh, very nice. It's got all the links up there. Press Kit, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, PlayStation, Xbox, VHX, Voodoo. Wow. Well, that's actually a question I had for you, is you're launching on all these platforms, and every time I see the list, it always ends with, with more major platforms to come soon. So what more is there? I mean, it sounds like you're already launching almost everywhere. Uh, there's there's a big more, actually. A really, really big more. Um, and I 
you know, if this is coming out in a week, it might have already been announced. So it it's it's coming soon. Uh, not the actual release, but the the announcement of the big platform is coming soon. So we always say more, and we mean it because there is cool stuff on the way for for gaming color. Okay, well, I know you can't confirm or deny anything at the time of this recording, but the only major player that I see missing from this list is Netflix, so I'm going to keep an eye out to see if that logo pops up on your new website. I can actually deny that, because we're actually, <laughs> we're actually going for, for transactional video on demand. So basically, the film process is, uh, if you're getting video on demand distribution, first off, you go through transactional video on demand, which includes iTunes, you know, instant video, all of these places where you can actually just, which is a buy the film. Um, after that, you go through uh, a different video on demand. I think it's subscriptional video on demand or, or something like that, which would include uh, Netflix and you know um, other things that are subscription based or you know or streaming based or you know based on a, a person you know paying the platform and then uh, accessing your film that way instead of actually directly paying for your film. So that can definitely happen down the line. So this is sort of our, our first batch. You know, video on demand is weird. Um, some of these platforms that we're listing will be on there forever. Some of them we won't be. Some of them could actually be very shortly sustained, um, depending on how they do and how the platform is, you know, receptive to our product. Um, film is weird. Film is a weird industry. I've had to learn a lot about film, you know, coming from games and only being in games for such a short time and jumping into film right away. Um, but yeah, um, Netflix is not something that we would want to do at the same time because. Uh, then people would not be purchasing the film directly. So that's one thing. Um, also, the impression that people get when they see a film on Netflix is that it sucks, right? Is that true? I don't that is true. I feel like that's true. Anybody, oh. anybody who has Netflix can probably confirm this. Anytime that they actually are wanting to see a movie, search for it on Netflix and actually happen to find it, they don't want to see it anywhere because it's probably garbage. Like, why is this on Netflix now? So, I mean... Unfortunately, you know, Netflix has lost so much of its catalog that unfortunately, you know, a lot of what it has is not, you know, the big mainstream movies. I mean, so, you know, the impression that you get once you're on it is that, you know, it's it's either bad or it's cheap. That's why you don't have to pay for it. Like the impression is that it's free because people are already paying for Netflix, so they don't have to pay anything extra to actually see your film, right? So it's 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 a different model that's not conducive to actually uh, selling directly. And just because we were able to get approved on all of these major platforms, that's not something that we would, and it's not something that our platforms would even want us to do, uh, you know, at the same time in tandem. So, Interesting. A former guest on this show, Lorian Green, three years ago released a documentary all about board games, and mm -hmm. her initial release was physical media only, and she eventually released an online version as well, iTunes, Google Play, and the like. But Justin... Short, three short years priorities can shift. She's now working on a documentary all about pinball and says that when this film comes out, it'll release initially and perhaps even exclusively on Vimeo. Wow. And, and then maybe later other platforms like YouTube, which now has a pay-on-demand option as well. It does. Cool. Excellent. So I'm looking forward to seeing which options Gaming in Color explores. Yeah, we'll actually, we'll actually be on Vimeo on, time, on, on, on release as well. So... Oh, okay then. Great. I, I, I believe so. I mean, I feel like that's sort of assumed. Everything's okay. everything's on Vimeo, so <laughs> everything. I yeah. might put up a link to that just so people can find it, but I don't think anybody would choose to buy us on Vimeo instead of like a console or iTunes. So interesting. Okay. We'll see. 
um, yeah, this is something that I've definitely had to pick up, and Devolver's been really, really super helpful in, you know, explaining this in a way for people to understand, and, you know, why we're, you know, everybody everybody wants their film to, like, get on Netflix, you know, get on Netflix, then people can see it. Um, but fortunately, uh, what we're doing right now is actually a step above that, so. You've evolved beyond Netflix. Yeah, you know, something like that. Excellent. Well, we've been chatting a lot, and in many of the questions I've asked, some of your answers have very often referred to the next time I do this, or the next film, and etc. <laughs> so what is the future for this topic and its film coverage? I, I don't know. If anybody else is ever going to make a film about this, then I hope that they would see Gaming in Color and you know maybe reach out to me, and that would be something that I could maybe um, work with them on. But in terms of actually directing and starting a, a film on myself, I think that Gaming Color hasn't really hit its full stride, you know, especially now that we're we're just getting out on release and putting so much power behind this. I don't think uh, filming again is something that I want to think about for, you know, for a, a short while. Um, I mean, I definitely have ideas. I know what I would want to do, and I think that I think I... There's, there's a game plan there, and there's an opportunity there. Um, so, you know, we'll see, but I'm, I'm not making any plans right now. I, I am... I am in love with gaming in color and I am fully committed to it. And I want people to see this film. And, uh, that's, that's my motivation for, for the short term. Excellent. And if people do want to see this film, which at the time of this episode is now out, where do they go? Uh, they can go to gamingcolor.com, which is going to have, or does have all of our, our links to all our different platforms and you can find it easily on iTunes. Actually at the time of this recording, it is, out on iTunes for pre-order right now, um, but it'll be out you know once the episode is out. So iTunes, uh, Google Play, uh, PlayStation, Xbox, uh, Vudu, and VHX. Also, Amazon is in there as well, um, but I don't know if that's actually going to come out release day. Amazon is a little fickle about when they release, but it's it's definitely around this period. So, and I see in iTunes the standard definition version is seven ninety nine and the HD is nine ninety nine. Will that be pretty consistent across the platforms? I think that that's actually an iTunes thing. Okay, so what can we expect to pay on other platforms? I believe it's going to be nine ninety nine on other platforms. But like I said, I don't control the price, um, so I, I was you know I wasn't sure if it was going to be five you know like five bucks or ten bucks. So it turns out it's going to be eight or ten on iTunes. So I'm, I'm expecting probably the average is going to be around ten dollars. Yeah, I think HD tends to be the default nowadays anyway. Yeah. I mean, most people have HD TVs by now. I ditched my CRT a while back. Mm -hmm. Anyway, excellent. Well, I think we've covered a lot, and I'm very much looking forward to this film breaking the charts and <laughs> just doing blockbuster. And I hope it does really well. Thank you so much. I am excited, and uh, I really hope that people are able to find the film through this, and you know, join the join the cause and get inspired, and you know, meet meet some folks. The coolest thing. Oh my gosh! I, I talked about we were screening on Twitch. So here's a, here's a nice little nice little blurb that we can go out on, a nice little bit of positivity. So we, when we were screening on Twitch, um, the coolest thing happened. And I was watching the chat, and I was going around, you know, all of the, the garbage and slurs and everything. Um, and I start seeing these people, uh, a, cu a couple people, that were still being active in the chat. And they were like, you know, this is really interesting. I've never seen anything like this. I'm gay, and I love video games. But I've never really thought about, you know, combining those. I've never had anybody else gay to play with. And while they were discussing these things, I saw people starting to exchange email addresses and gamer IDs so that they could play with other gay people that they met 
in the Twitch chat. And they were so excited because they'd never found anybody else gay to play video games with. Wow, that's really moving. You, just in the act of producing this film, are, wow, bringing people together. It was one of the coolest moments that I have ever experienced. It was seeing it happen right before my eyes, where people's, not only were their perspectives widened, but they realized something about themselves. And right within that, they were able to bond and create a new connection with another human being over video games. And it was so important to them that they had finally found another gay person to play video games with because they'd never experienced that before. And they didn't even think it was real. And that's one of the best things video games can do is bring people together. And it's been so frustrating to see the opposite happen these past few months that to see gaming in color reversing that trend, it's very encouraging. Yeah, I think that, you know, I want to show people that this is real. And this is something that anybody can do, no matter who you are. And that's what I'm continuing to fight for. Well, thank you for taking up that fight. We much appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. Two quick questions for you. One, you mentioned you're non-binary. Which pronoun should I use when writing up the promotion for this podcast? Yeah, I prefer a singular they, they, them. Okay. And also, um, I was insensitive. There were, may have been times during the interview when, when I referred to you as sir. Yeah, yeah it's fine. I mean, I, I'm used to that. It's not, you know, it's not something that I, I like or, or assign to myself. So, you know. Okay. If I can, I'll edit those parts out. Thank you. That's really appreciated. I should have thought of it an hour ago. One of the reasons I started this podcast is because I have a very limited perspective and experience, and I'm hoping to meet people who will help me be less of an asshole. Yeah. And so I, I appreciate your patience with that.